The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. I am Simon Clancy, along with my friends Alfredo Artiaga and Chris Kaufman. Welcome, gentlemen. We are six days away. Don't panic, people. We are six days away from the finale of Game of Thrones. And that's where we're starting this week. Only because there's nothing going on. We'll get to Xavier now in a minute. We'll talk about OTAs, maybe. We'll answer your Twitter questions. But we're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers getting incinerated and what the fuck's going to happen next week. Boom. <laughs> so we've all seen the ep- If you haven't seen the episode, then I'd probably fast forward maybe 10 minutes or whatever because there's going to be yes. some spoilers. There's going to be some stuff. There's going to be some other stuff. If you don't like Game of Thrones, again, I apologise, but it is a podcast and you can literally just shuffle forwards because it's not live. You don't have to listen to it if you don't want it. If you do like Game of Thrones, this is the shit that you're going to need for next week. So, I mean, like there's so much to go on. Up. There's so much to go on. What do you think of this season so far? I mean, because there's been lots of complaints from people from like the purists who think, you know, and I, I certainly get that over the last two seasons, they've tried to speed things up ridiculously. Whereas, you know, in seasons one through four, it would take like half a season to get from King's Landing to like 10 minutes up the road. Now, <laughs> like people can like zoom around in like 20 minutes. It's yeah. like... Yeah, it's astonishing. But how do you, I mean, how have you felt this series has gone? I think it's been a great season. Uh, and I know that a lot of people disagree with me, but you were told there was going to be six episodes. You were told that there was going to be four episodes of an hour and 20 minutes. You don't think you're getting enough? You're getting plenty of character development. They're tying up every single loose end. And I don't think there's any, there's been any real, real surprises if you've been paying attention for at least the last four seasons. People's complaints seem to be that, for example, I mean, literally the very first scene of the very first episode is White Walkers killing people. And it feels like, you know, what was going on north of the wall Mm. was built up for eight and a half episodes, eight and a half series. And the Night King was literally killed in one one episode. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know, <laughs> kind of easily, you know, that was a that was a pretty that was a pretty Deus Ex Machina moment too. Like mm-hmm. just just out of nowhere. Oh yeah, there's 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 Arya, and she killed him. Oh, good. I, I thought and, it was a great episode. I've got to say, and I didn't like people. Well, right, it was I mean, dark, yeah. and I thought it was a great episode. It was tense. The music was incredible, but. Yeah. It was tense, but also it was so dark. And I got this from a lot of, from several people. It was so dark you couldn't see anything really. I mean, I was. They mean to tell me that in the middle of nowhere at night it's dark? Well, of course. <laughs> yeah, this is this is cinema. You're supposed okay. Let's just watch a black screen and say it's nighttime. And then I thought that's hearing was good. You know, yeah, I mean, no, you're supposed to be able to see what's going on, so and if the viewer light. are not seeing it, then that, that's all a problem. Uh, and then people complained about people complained last night about um, uh, Daenerys kind of going ape mad ship. essentially an ape ship, but also going and yet you know there's been 71 episodes and there's been an awful lot of signals that she's going to do this. Yes, you know, all of her all of her her arc has essentially you know even when she was in marine she was killing people. Her father is the Mad King was the Mad King after all. Yeah. Um, this this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody who's really been paying attention. I think it was a surprise that, how they did it. I think it was a yeah. surprise. Not um, the fact that she made the decision. I think that they they botched how they handled it. Like they just all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, she went from making these sort of cold calculated decisions in the instances you talk about, mm-hmm. where it was like I'm trying to accomplish this thing and this is how I'm going to do it. And you know what? Hey, it's 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 going to be it's going to be look it's going to look pretty terrible. Um, but in this case, they, they basically just, I don't know, they reduced her down to like a cartoon myth of a hysterical woman making rash decisions because she got all emotional about it. And it's like, you know, what every man like fears in a woman in leadership basically is, is what she turned into all of a sudden. And, and they could have explored the more rational, which I think is more terrifying, is, is the more rational angle of like, I need an atrocity that's going to scare people for 10 generations. Mm. You know, like when and, she asked 40 people to pay homage to her and when they refused, she incinerated them. Like, yeah. I mean, basically like that was a cold decision or like, you know, executing. When she Barrett, killed Samuel Tarly, yeah. When she killed Samuel Tarly's father. And, right. Yeah. Exactly. But here she is, she's like sitting atop and she's already promised that she's going to stop attacking when, when the bells ring and she's sitting on her dragon on the, you know, on the city and all of a sudden she just like gets all emotional about it. And, Oh, I'm just going to tear everything up. You know, like, like that. I didn't like that at all. Like, take, don't game, take that turn with her. Here's a quote. We will lay waste to armies and burn cities to the ground. Turn us away and we will burn you to the ground first. I mean, that she said that in season one. So, it, you know, I can kind of get that it's been, it's been coming. What about the deaths of um, Cersei and Jamie? Because it, it felt a little bit, I don't know, it felt a little bit like you were hoping that maybe Arya did it or that, you know, that essentially yeah. the arch villain of the entire piece would die in a, in a way that didn't mean she was crushed under a, a ton of rubble. That felt a little bit like a cop. I felt, I felt like they batched that just because of the storyline, because they've been foreshadowing in both the books and the show that she was going to get killed by her younger brother. I mean, that was the mm. whole, the whole Maggie, the frog, Maggie, the frog, you know, yeah. prophecy thing um, was that she was supposed to get killed by her young, which she interpreted to be Tyrion. And that's why she's always hated Tyrion. But, you know, uh, Jamie was born after her, technically uh, they were twins. 
And so I thought they were going to wrap that up nicely by having, you know, Jamie have this moment where he just realizes he's got to kill Cersei and kill himself probably. Um, and, and instead they just do that. I, I felt like that was kind of an easy way out. Like, Oh, let's just hold each other, you know, die in the arms of the woman he loves down in a basement somewhere. And, I don't know. I thought that was a little cheap too. And also the way that his relationship with Brienne had gone over the last two series, it was like, mm. you know, and the, the fact that in the episode after the, the, the battle of Winterfell, mm. he felt like, really, Jamie, is that really, is that yeah. what you like to play here? You're going to, you know, sleep with Brienne yeah, and say, fun. I'm going back to my sister. But it's actually, getting dark, isn't it? That's Jamie Lannister. That's the Jamie Lannister we've known since yeah. it's I, I mean, it was really sudden, though, like to go back to, hey, I'm going to go back to King's Landing. I'm going to, you know, be with, I, with Cersei after yeah. all. Yeah. I've got to say, I found the final scene fascinating, the, the very final few shots, mm. because obviously it's setting Arya up for, uh, she is death, ultimately. And that scene with the White Horse, obviously mm. the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the White it's, Horse, yeah, the quote, I looked and behold an ashen horse. And he who sat in it had the name Death. I mean, that's she's been set, I mean, she's been killing people since series one, essentially, even before she became an assassin, before Jack and Hagar taught her how to kill properly. Mm. You know, and all of her arc has stayed pretty much true right the way through. And it does feel like the showdown is coming between her and uh, and Daenerys. You kind of feel like whose face is she going to steal to get that cloak? Because really, only Grey Worm and Tyrion are the, the two that are closest to. Mm. To, to Danny now. So I kind of imagine yeah. Jon Snow can end up killing Daenerys, which would be probably think? the most interesting thing he's done in the entire series. I, I, no, he I'm, is dumb, isn't he? Is, he's a, <laughs> yes. he's, and everybody, like, he's set up, to, and, and it's not just like, it would be old. one thing if it was cynical, if it was kind of cynically done, but yeah. I don't think it's kind of cynically done. Like, he's set up in the show like he's a great leader and a great, you know, battle leader and stuff like that. And he's he's really not. He's just totally dumb. I mean, it, it, he could have prevented all of what happened in this episode if he just banged his auntie again. I mean, mm. that's that, that I mean that just take one for the realm, man. I mean, you've already done it. You've already done it once and Dragon watched you and everything. I mean, just go ahead and do it, you know? Take one for the I'll take one for the team and bang Amelia Clark. I don't care what 23 me <laughs> says about. It. Now, let me let me ask let me ask both of you our our favorite character, most Game of Thrones fans, they love Tyrion. But if you go and you meticulously look back at all of the the advice he's given as the hand, he's never good at this job. He's, is a, he? he's, um, he's, Cam, he's Cam Cameron. He's, <laughs> a, he's, he's a midget Cam Cameron. I mean, he's terrible. Uh, oh, Literally man. nothing happens. Nothing goes right. Nothing goes right. <laughs> we can turn anything into dolphins. Can't we? So how do we ultimately think it's going to play out next week then? What what are we expecting? Any surprises? I think it's going to, well, you know, that last scene, you know, on the pale horse, I think Arya kills Daenerys and I think Jon Snow goes north of the wall and it just yeah. ends with Sansa. So who's on the throne? Sansa. Sansa. Yeah, Sansa no. on the throne with Tyrion remaining as the hand, the guy that can never be fired. <laughs> or unless you unless they get the guy that always gets course. promoted out of uh he gets he gets fired by promotion <laughs> yeah i think john and daenerys get killed both die next week mm. because clearly daenerys and john are now uh anti you know or certainly daenerys yeah. is you know against john um and it's kind of come full circle as it got the it's the remaining starks that are left yeah 
you know, it feels like that's what it's boiling down By to. By the way, why, did, do either of you know the answer to this question? Why was the last one called, why was the last episode called The Last Stark? I, was, I didn't quite figure that out. I'm not sure. Not this I'm one, sure. but, you know, the one before that. And just didn't, I wasn't quite getting that. Sure. But no, I, I, think, I think John could end up killing Daenerys and still somehow getting his way and not being king. Mm-hmm. And the most boring and stupid thing that I can think of would probably be instead of Arya killing Daenerys is John kills Daenerys and then somehow Bran ends up on the throne. <laughs> yeah, I can't see Bran. And, and that's, that's, so that's what I'm going to go with because I don't like where this is going. All right, let's tie all of this up to football. The major characters as football coaches. Simon, go. So Arya is Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. Daenerys is Urban Meyer. Mm-hmm. I can feel uh, that. Because she's fucked in the head. Um, sorry, Urban, if you listen. Uh, Jon <laughs> Snow is Cam Cameron. Um, Sansa. Adam Gaze? Could be. She's too smart no, for school, for everybody else, really. On I think Tyr- Tyrion is Adam Gase. <laughs> it could be. And Cam yeah. Cameron. Um, yeah, that's, that's me. Uh, I've, got, right. I've got one. I've got, I've got one. I think Daenerys is Jeff Ireland. Because, <laughs> because like, and, and the burning of King's Landing is the 2013 offseason. The I've got picks and money offseason. You know, like, heading into the heading into the battle of King's landing, you know, made some questionable decisions already. And you're kind of like, is this really the person that we want in charge of this really important moment right now? But everybody's saying, Oh, Oh, but you got to give him the chance and see what he does with all the picks and money. And then you can make a decision on him. Well, guess what? Took Dion Jordan, burned King's landing. And Drogon, unfortunately is Tom Brady. (laughs) No, I think, yeah, no, I think he's going to retire next next week. <laughs> Drogon, Drogon's going to retire. <laughs> oh, he's undefeated yeah. so far. <laughs> also, one other thing is, how could one of the worst characters in any uh, in any drama that I've seen over the last few years, um, uh, Euron? How could he all of a sudden, on a boat last week, come out of nowhere and shoot Rhaegar out of the sky? Yet, uh, when they when they were set up on the edge of the thing with about, you know, they weren't moving, i.e. they weren't bobbing up and down on the ocean wave, <laughs> yet they couldn't they couldn't hit him for toffee. And they had about 10,000. Exactly. But <laughs> well, on the, the boat, military... bouncing up and down, coming around the corner, well, and the dragon in the sky didn't see 40 yeah. ships. I mean, yeah, the military strategy in the last few episodes has been pretty, pretty weak, I would say. Very luckily, weak. luckily, those ballistas shoot like at literally three times the, you know, the, the speed of a sniper rifle. Yeah. So, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a Matt Buck defensive game plan. Just not good. <laughs> yeah, nobody's figured out, okay, there's dragons flying around. Now we have sands. We have surface air missiles to, to knock them down. But, you know, they, they can't fixed the defenses for what essentially became a, a flank attack in his last episode. They're like, oh, wait a minute. If he comes from behind us, we're in trouble. I will say at least anyway. Cersei was like always the, from front to back. Like day one, minute one, season one, episode one. Completely delusional. The, the same person absolutely bitch. 100% the whole time. Okay, who's she? Yeah. Let's, let's close the segment with that. Who is Cersei in the NFL? 
Joey Harrington. Bam. That's that's obscure. I was going to say something really bad, but I don't think I can say it. <laughs> oh. I can't say it. I can't I say it. I think of somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Saban? Well, maybe. That's a pretty decent shout. I think Jon Snow is Ricky Williams. <laughs> yeah, without <laughs> the weed. <laughs> He's going to end up in the ring of honor somehow, and you're just like, yeah. I can't figure out why. <laughs> yeah, that could pretty be. Well. That makes a lot of sense. Anyway, let's get to something. Well, I mean, maybe less interesting, maybe more interesting. Let's get to <laughs> Xavier Howard. He has signed a big contract, six years, 70 plus million, 40 plus million guaranteed, seven plus million to sign on the dotted line, which he did this afternoon. How do you feel about it? I mean, I think I know the answer to this. I think we all think it's a, a great thing as long as he can stay injury free and that those, those slightly nagging knee injuries can, can stay away. But um, overall, seems like a great deal. Well, we reported on it and on our podcast of December 4th that Chris Greer identified two players as cornerstones to the franchise, Xavier Howard and Laramie Tunsil, and he intended to re-sign both of them. Well, one is already signed. Uh, I guess we're waiting on Tunsil. So I'm happy with it. Great player. His trajectory so far has been great. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with him. Like, he made a Pro Bowl and was first-team All-Pro faster than any other defensive back in Dolphin history. So, yeah, why not? It's, it's a good deal. And it's also front-loaded. So when we start winning, he counts less against the cap, which is actually a pretty good thing. Chris? I think um, I, I, I agree with you. We've, we've all wanted to make sure that he stick, sticks around. The number ended up coming out not as bad as I feared it could. So, um, so I'm kind of happy about that. Uh, it's interesting that Laramie Tunsil looks like he might have to wait um, a little bit. I, I don't know if he's going to get done. I mean, knowing my curse, they're going to announce he resigns or he signs an extension tomorrow. But I, I, it looks like he's going to have to. And I wonder if that's because, like, they're waiting. They're really waiting for him to cut down the penalties because I hear that this is the penalties and discipline play is, is a really big issue for uh, for Brian Flores as a coach. And he, in particular, like, he's, he's a penalty machine, um, Laramie Tunsil is. That's, like, his one base weakness, really. So I, I wonder if they want him to get through some of the season and show that he can cut that, cut that down, and then they'll, they'll start to get his contract extension underway, too. But, uh, you know, this is uh, – I mean, the New England Patriots play a lot of man coverage. We've been through that. Um, most man-oriented team in the league – our defense in the league, uh, and the Miami Dolphins figure to bring that here. They're also the most, and these don't necessarily go hand in hand, but they often do. Um, they also have the New England Patriots match up their corners on receivers and have them move around the field uh, more than anybody else really in the uh, in the NFL. And pro, pro Football Focus actually does a pretty good job of tracking that and seeing who actually has corners shadowing other receivers and matching up on them wherever they go knowing the Patriots you know does that do that basically every game not every team does that um so this is this is a foundational block to be able to do that I mean because you're going to be matching up on number one wide receivers and so you've got to be able to have the first guy the first domino to be able to do that on your team if you want to go with that approach and that's Xavier Howard so I don't see how you can start to do that if you don't have Xavier. Cool. It's time for a break. Um, 
coming up, we will answer your questions. We've had about 493 of them, and we thank you very much, as always. We will get to answering them, some probably on Game of Thrones. I doubt it, actually. We've pretty much covered that all off. Um, but yeah, listen to this. We'll get back to our episode here in a second. But first, we've had a lot of inquiries about how you can contribute to the Five Reasons Sports Network other than just giving us money, which we'll certainly take, or being a podcaster, and I have too many bad ones already. So here's <laughs> an idea if you want to get involved with us, and it goes beyond our new website, fivereasonsports.com. We are looking for sales representatives. Why? Because we have a lot to sell. We sell ads on our podcasts. We sell ads on social media. We also are selling sponsorships and banner ads on our website. So we got a ton of inventory to sell. We are credentialed with all five teams down here. We're fully established and we just want somebody who can go out into the community and sell that product, sell Miami sports by Miami for Miami to the South Florida community. So if you want to get involved, here's two ways that you can contact us. One is by going to Skolnick at five reasonsports.com. And the other way is going to Jorge J O R G E at FiveReasonsSports.com. Reach out one of those two ways, and we will get back in touch with you and tell you how you can help and how you can make money. Hi, this is Craig Mish from Swings and Mishes here on the Five Reasons Podcast Network. Just in case you missed any of our podcasts in the past, here's what you missed. We have been um, extremely aggressive in, in trying to acquire additional uh, international dollars, not just for, you know, uh, potential free agents with two first names. It's nice that that ownership is is fully supportive and allowing us to 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 do everything in our power um, to be um, the best team in, in in this region in the Gateway to America and 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 for Miami to become a destination spot for for all Latin players uh, because you know this is such an international city. Hey, this is Seth Levitt, and I am here with two-time Miami Dolphins team MVP. Seth, 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 man. They already know this is OJ McDuffie. Why don't you tell them what we're really here for? We're excited to join the crew at the Five Reasons Sports Network to bring you our new podcast, The Fish Tank, Dolphins Tales from the Deep. OJ, tell them what they can expect when they dive in. Yeah, Big Seth, we've got some of your favorite all-time Dolphin players in the tank sharing some of the best stories that you've never heard. So it looks like Sasquatch because he's <laughs> chasing me because you, you know Izzo with his clothes on. He's so hairy, that guy. <laughs> Wait, why are you looking so, at me like I know yeah, Lizzo with his no, clothes off? Seth, we know Lizzo <laughs> with his clothes off. So make sure you find the fish tank on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or if you're one of those Android people, Google Play Music, or on several cross-platform apps, including Podbean and Stitcher. Thanks for diving in. Welcome back to Three Hours for Carry. I'm Simon Clancy, Chris Kaufman. Alf Artiaga are with me as always. Um, we have done, if you've missed it, Game of Thrones. We have done, if you've missed it, Xavier and Howard. We will get to OTAs next week because not a lot has happened other than guys running around with uh, spandex on and little sort of yoga things between their legs. Hmm. It sounds way ruder than it's supposed to. So we're going to get some Twitter questions. Thank you very much, Lee, for firing them in. We've had quite a few. Uh, Alf's cut them down and he is going to run with them. So take it away, Alfredo. All right, Alfredo, we I love that. It rolls off the tongue nicely. I've never said that before. You know, Alfredo. nobody calls me Alfredo. Everybody what do they call you? Alf. Alf. Can we call you Fredo? No. <laughs> Fredo. No. Can we call you Frodo? Frodo? Ooh. No, even worse. <laughs> oh. Come on, Frodo. 
from now on you're always <laughs> going to be such, that's such a frodo thing to say it's going to be you're always going to be frodo to me now you'll okay. always be frodo to me all right there you go i'm i'm getting angry over here that's Kill it frodo Okay, we You're got so over. Frodo. We got like sixty to seventy questions. It was it was actually pretty ridiculous because I put it out like around four o'clock, and I was expecting just like a few, and we got so many. But I whittled it down to a good number, and this was is for it, both it, of you. Is it two? No, <laughs> it's actually one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay. Okay. And the first one's from Undefeated at Occam's Razor forty-two, and this one's for both of you. You could. Take it first, Simon. How many long-term pieces for this defense are currently on the roster? Ooh, good question. That's a really good question. Um, one, two, three. Like <laughs> counting as you. <laughs> four, five, like maybe great. six, but maybe it'd be great five. If you're actually not looking or thinking about anything. Oh, as I'm not. Just, just, I'm not looking at anything. I'm just looking. I'm looking at Aaron Rodgers being eviscerated on the pause screen on um, <laughs> Game of Thrones. Um, so I think Fitzpatrick, uh, Howard, McCain potentially, Wilkins, one of the either Godshow or Godshow or Vincent Taylor, and I'm not sure about the linebackers. Like McMillan came on a bit. Baker looks like he's got real talent, but how does I, I'm, you know? Mm. how does he fit we're, we're still waiting to find out how he fits in that defense so th- there's there's pieces there i'm just not entirely sure where I, there's certainly i don't, certainly don't think there's any defensive ends necessarily that fit currently but then lots of people are saying oh the dolphins don't have defense people are also forgetting how the system is going to work this is not you know we're not looking for a 20 sack season guy it's not how it works it's about lane discipline it's about strength of the point of attack it's about keep containment in terms of running backs, in terms of scrambling quarterbacks, forcing things inside. That's much more important than getting to the you know, getting to quarterback is obviously important. But it's it's about intelligence and as much as it is about disruption, I think. This is a hard one because I don't think there are very many pieces at all on on this team. I mean there's clearly Minka Fitzpatrick and Xavier Howard and Christian Wilkins. I mean that's easy. But anybody else is a Big old question mark because, you know, you're thinking maybe Devon Godchow, but we want to see him in the new system. I actually think that Vincent Taylor might have a harder time in this system than he did in the previous one. I think Raekwon McMillan is not really – I mean, if you think think about what Donta Hightower and Kyle Van Noy are to the New England – you know, that, that Mac and Buck position – those Mac and Buck positions for the New England defense, Raekwon McMillan isn't really either of those because he's not really the pass rusher, uh, blitzer, line of scrimmage guy that Donta Hightower is, nor Kyle Van Noy. So um, – and Jerome Baker certainly doesn't seem very fit to me anyway about for that role because he's he's small. I mean, he was he was taken for a different defense, and I think it could be we could be in for kind of a rough ride with him. And then you're like, okay, well Van Ginkle, but that's a fifth round pick. I mean, what are you really? I mean, we're yeah. playing the odds there. Um, and then you know, and then you're left with basically, well, Christian Wilkins, we know, and uh, and Minka Fitzpatrick and Xavier Howard, and that's really it. And uh, I'm not sure we have anybody else. Uh, maybe, I'm, actually, I think that J. Ron Elliott could be a um, could be a, a, a not a not a core piece of the defense, but like a a role player for a couple of years because 
you know, you at least know what he can do. And that he, and I think he can do what, what he's built to do in this defense. But otherwise, I think that's it, just the three. Okay. Can we make an argument that we don't know what the defense is going to be still? We're just mm. assuming that we know right. what it's going to be because of that. And, yeah. and yet there's a chance that they could construct a defense and a system that plays the strength of the people that we have playing devil's advocate here. Could be, but I would say that there has been some signs already and I would have agreed with you even more on that point that devil's advocate, maybe a few months ago, but there's already been some signs that we've sort of seen, you know, behind the scenes that Brian Flores is kind of explicitly looking at some of these, particularly linebacker roles and like telling guys, you know, what film to study and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so I, I think they might be pretty explicit about how they map that New England defense over to Miami. Yeah, I think that the answer is exactly like Chris said. It's those three guys. I would throw in Bobby McCain. I think that Oh yeah, yeah. there's fair. a reason that Bobby McCain is a coach's favorite. The guy, the mm-hmm. guy comes and brings it every day in practice mm-hmm. and – he can play in this system. He's a good, good slot corners. Good slot yeah. corners are hard to find. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and I think you're right. I think you're exactly right. So, yeah, it's the three defensive backs and Christian Wilkins. Uh, selfishly, I want to see Jerome Baker stick because I think he's really, really talented. Okay, this is a very quick question. It's a bonus question. Just give me one name. And this is from Mike Thompson at MJ1987, US26. Who do you think makes the biggest jump in play under this Patriot-style defense? Give me a name, Simon. Um, down or up just yeah. jump and play so jump is up you don't jump oh, down yeah. you don't jump through the could earth be a down. Could, could be a jump down could jump down jump, jump into a pit the floor. <laughs> I'm trying to think of someone crikey I'm I'll, you, you think you think I'll go ahead because I, I already have an answer Jerome Baker I think that we had a lot of we had a lot of legitimate um, optimism about him based on how he played last year, but last year was a completely different approach of defense than what this new defense is going to be. He's going to be, I mean, I've seen, we've, I haven't seen the playbook, like all of the playbook, but we've seen, you know, parts of the playbook and the positions that they have for these linebackers don't really fit him very well, in my opinion. Um, and, and so is this a jump up or a so jump I, down? I just, I'm having to, this this is a jump down. I'm going oh, with jump right. down because you said you said uh, jump, and I'm just going with jump down. All right, Simon, do you have a guy? I want to say one of the two corners, Armstrong and Davis, but I, I, again, I'm not entirely sure where they have a role. Really, yeah, realistically, true. they looked like they had a bit of moxie about them last season. Davis, especially towards the back end of the season, I'm just not sure where they play. Do you think like because, somebody could come out of nowhere like Jonathan Woodard and be like, oh, he's a defensive style of system? Maybe. Oh, I tell you who, Maurice Smith might be a guy. I'm going to go with Maurice Smith. Probably doesn't even make the roster after okay. all that. But it could be a guy. <laughs> it's our who, curse, man. <laughs> in that, so absolutely. In that Deron Harmon, Pat Chung, mm. um, what's his name? The great uh, Devin McCourty. Just be one of those kind of guys. He's intelligent. He's athletic. You just know, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I think it's a defensive back that isn't one of the guys necessarily mm. that we're thinking about who just comes in because of the very nature of the fact they're going to play extra DBs, especially extra safeties. Guys who are quick and you know, mm. can think. 
wouldn't surprise me if that was one of the guys who took a bit of a jump. That would be interesting because he's a lot like Minka, isn't he? I mean, he was, he was replaced by Minka. Definitely. At Alabama. Definitely. Yeah, I'm tempted, I'm tempted to say Minka Fitzpatrick, but it, it, that would be too obvious. So I'm going to go. Oh, uh, yeah. That's too I'm, obvious. I'm going to go off, opposite of you, Chris. I'm going to say Jerome Baker makes a big jump up. Whoa. There's talent there. I trust that this defensive staff is going to find a way to exploit that talent. Mm-hmm. His quickness and ability to attack the line of scrimmage, I think they'll find sexy. I just don't know yes. how they'll. I just don't know how they'll do it. But it mm. wouldn't surprise me if they so did. So I'm just going to trust. I'm going to trust the player. I'm going to trust the staff, and I'm going to say that Jerome Baker takes a jump. I would say Jerome Baker down, Raquan McMillan up. Like he's he's the one that's going to yeah. have some fortunes rise in this mm. style of defense because he's just like a brutal strong interior run defender player and new england actually kind of appreciate you know that style of defense actually kind of kind of appreciates those players that can play the role they're made to play and wouldn't so surprise maybe, me if baker did an awful lot of going forwards rather than going backwards mm-hmm. and sideways yeah. somebody with speed and light who can attack that you know who can come up behind tank Carradine or woodard or whoever's playing and be that extra rusher i just you literally know, going his forward body, the time his yeah, body, I mean, unless you're unless you're like, hey, we're gonna move him to safety, really, and he's gonna be kind of a hybrid which is safety. The other, which is the other option? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I I could I, I could be into that. <laughs> yeah, they could ask him to lose weight, and he goes down from mm-hmm. what two thirty six to two twenty five. You know, be a be a Pat Chung box yeah. safety player. You know. All right, this one's from the excellence of execution at our doubles. Okay, of course he is. All right. <laughs> And he writes, and this is an interesting question because I read it and I'm like, yeah, like, this makes sense. The and sex executioner only delivers good questions. Yes. Absolutely. How can Googs, Dave Guglielmo, mm-hmm. impact the offensive line this season? I mean, and this is him writing, I mean, what is an O-line analyst anyway? Could this create friction with Flaherty? I just don't understand his role. Any ideas? You first, Chris. I believe they work together in New York. I'm, mm, they do, yeah. Yeah, so um, they've already they've already kind of got a relationship that way. I don't know why Dave DeGuglielmo can't hold a job in the NFL because he seems to have a good resume. Uh, he's been picked by Tony Sperano to be, you know, Tony Sperano. Say what you want about him as a head coach, you know, fantastic guy, and also he was hired as like basically an offensive line specialist. Like he at least knows what he's doing with the offensive line, and he is like he is an he was an offensive line specialist. Joe Philbin, on the other hand, that was his background. He, he couldn't pick out offensive linemen. His background was picking up garbage from the yeah the exactly. So uh, Tony Sperano, uh, for as an offensive line guru, picked Dave DeGuglielmo to be the next offensive line coach of the Dolphins. So there's that respect. He worked for he worked with Pat Flaherty up in the New York Giants. There's that respect. He um, he he was chosen. You know he was going to be uh, the replacement for um, Skarnecchia up in New England, and then Skarnecchia was like, you know, he retired. He retired, and then he was like, eh, I don't want to stay retired. He, he came back, and so there's no shame in that to me. And so, and all the rumor was Josh McDaniels was going to take DeGuglielmo with him to Indianapolis. Oh, I mean, that, that's how he yeah, ended well, up. He did. That's why he was hired, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why and he to, got fired eventually. Because yeah, to, to, to credit, to credit, to Frank Reich's credit, I mean, and to the Colts' credit, really, they honored those contracts, didn't they, of the, yeah. of the assistants that they signed, of which DeGuglielmo was one of them. Mm-hmm. And 
that that offensive line took a massive leap up. I but, do. You know, Braden Smith came in and was brilliant. Quentin Nelson obviously was turned into the best guard in the league pretty much. Ryan Kelly played brilliantly. Castonzo played well. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they went from 31st or 32nd in the league to second, I think, in in terms of you know pressures and sacks given up. You know, but Frank Wright wanted his own guy. And, you know, he made no bones about that from the start of the season when he came in. But it was just that they couldn't hire him because they already were honouring the contracts of the guys they brought in. So I suppose that's how mm-hmm. he finds himself unemployed. So for Miami, I mean, you know, you've got a lot of, apart from Tunsil, you've got a lot of valuable pieces. And if you can get him and Fahdi working together, then, you know, could be have yeah, absolutely. Could be, uh, you know, this could be really good news for the Dolphins. Specifically as an analyst, though, I kind of imagine the thing that people might not be thinking of is what if he's, what if he's actually analyzing uh, opponent offensive lines as well yeah. and trying to, you know, figure out what works against these different offensive lines, that offensive linemen that we're going to be facing in the, you know, part of the advanced scouting, basically. Yeah. Um, so n- not just part of our own grading, and and certainly that's going to be part of it, I think, um, grading our own offensive linemen and sort of helping to, with the sit and start decisions and moving guys around and whatever we have to do that way. But analyzing the future opponents, I think, could be part of it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that there's anything wrong with having more smart people in the building. No, definitely yeah. not. More smart people are better than less. Now I'm going to take really this good one coaching because, staff he's put together, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree. Like, like this is a this is a pretty good staff. Brian Flores has plenty of help. Considering this was not necessarily our guy, right? Yeah, exactly. He's put together a good staff. Absolutely. That's important to me. All right, I'm going to take this one because it's kind of a softball for me. All right, and this is Aerith, not Eris, at Large Sun Zoo. He writes, hello, three yards, gents. If you were able to design your own offensive play with a guarantee that it would be used in a game, what would it look like and who would be involved? Well, if you guys remember, in the preseason, I watched the Dolphins practice and I saw a design pass to Drake. You remember when I, when I designed, I put the diagram up on the three yards per carry Twitter account? Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly the play that I would want run and you saw it run against the Indianapolis Colts for a touchdown. Tannehill threw a diagonal pass to Drake. It's a design pass. You hope for man out of 11 personnel. You try to press the high man deep and you try to get Drake in space one-on-one in that game. It worked. He caught it. Miss made one guy miss and went 34 yards for a touchdown. So anything that is designed for Drake in space, I like, do you guys have a play? Hmm. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of do you remember that play maybe we ran it against Tennessee on the road where Tannehill rolled out to the right and then threw all the way back to the left to a wide open tight end that might have been Anthony Fasano that kind of total misdirection where everybody goes one way and somebody just sneaks out the back door and you just stop and throw it right the way back across the field for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. I'll take that. But I mean, for me, normally it'd be some sort of sexy flea flicker. There was a play years ago when when Eric Dickerson was still at the Rams where they threw the ball. Jim Everett was quarterback. It was inside. I think, I can't remember who it was. Again. Jim Everett? Jim, no, yeah. Jim Everett was quarterback and they threw it to Flipper Anderson. Flipper Anderson caught it and Dickerson ran outside him and Flipper Anderson just literally flipped it to Dickerson. And he ran like sixty yards for a touchdown. Like it was just a, it was just a sensational play. I've never seen it. Talking about like a hooker. Yeah, kind of. But I've never seen it run in that way because it was sort of Flip Anderson ran a sort of twenty-yard mm. sort of comeback, 
caught it facing Jim Everett and literally Dickerson just kind of overlapped him and, and Flipper just flipped it to him. Dickerson was completely uncovered and then just burst down the field for touch. It was a sensational play. I think that um, this is a tough one because I when I when I kind of think about you know tinkering, I'm more tinkering with like personnel groupings and stuff like that, and are thinking about personnel groupings and who would play well together and what kinds of plays you can run and stuff like that. But you know, an individual play, like, do I have a annexation of Puerto Rico in me? I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I, I think I, there are some, some things that I like about actually what uh, Lincoln Riley has been doing in Oklahoma with some of the ways that he's, he's challenging sort of like he's, he's basically doing screens or uh, things or, you know, the sort of, um, those sorts of plays, those sorts of design plays, but he's mm-hmm. delaying the timing of them to to make them look like, you know, more like real pass plays, and then and then they turn out to be a string. Like he does, he's done a um a quarterback so they draw, options. so they yeah, can have so options on on the on the front side. Yeah. Well, really, it's so that people can get down the field blocking, and yeah. it's not illegal. You know, that's mm-hmm. and and so I would like to see, you know, flirting with that a little bit more like a quarterback draw where um, if you've got a guy down the field blocking already, like the running back, you know, kind of comes up off the play fake on a draw fake and, uh, and, and goes, starts blocking a linebacker right away. It's all right. If it's a, if it's a run, if it's a quarterback draw um, stuff like that, you know, I know that uh, he does Lincoln Riley does uh, the, when they do their, their crossing patterns, um, they they often will bend it back behind the line of scrimmage and when you do that you're allowed to get your offensive lineman up the field blocking so because because it's like a screen so like uh when you see you know like a drag route instead of drag route happening about a yard or two beyond the line of scrimmage which you're used to seeing that drag receiver will kind of bend it back and get right at the line of scrimmage and then he catches the ball on it and and it's all right for the lineman to be downfield blocking now because that's a screen. I would like to see stuff like that, like innovative stuff like that, uh, especially in this offense. We've got guys that can run. You know, you've got Kalen Bellage that can do Wildcat. You've got Albert Wilson. You've got Jakeem Grant. And, I mean, you can get, you can get pretty creative with these guys. All right, we're coming down the, the home stretch here, and this one feeds right into that as far as the offense. I'm going to have Simon start off here. And this is Sean Holmes, and he writes – at S Hones 34 and he writes, what is the realistic potential for a wide receiver group? It seems like a solid group, but I don't see how any of them can become a bona fide top 10 player at the position. Simon? I don't think you need a bona fide top 10 player. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the, and again, I hate to keep drawing comparisons to the Patriots, but that's kind of all we have. You look at, aside from Randy Moss, I can't think necessarily of out, uh, you know, the tight ends essentially, but there's well, not been particularly the best bad. slot receiver yeah. in the game. Yeah, unless it's a slot yeah. receiver that's catching 150 balls. <laughs> yeah, of course. But, you know, we had a slot receiver who's catching 120 balls, and look what happened there. I mean, yeah, right, you know, right. Edelman is is a good player, but you're not gonna, you, you know, you don't want to position Edelman outside of the formation too much. And and look, they do such a phenomenal job of scheming guys open. Guys are open because of the scheme and the routes that they run and uh, and those sorts of things. And we have um, decent route runners. You know, I I don't think that, I mean, I think keeping Grant and Wilson, especially Wilson healthy, is going to be incredibly important. I think getting those tight ends involved, whether it's Dwayne Allen, whether it's Kosicki, 
Um, that's going to be important. I think they're going to be looking for who's their James White. Um, I think the receiver group is fine. I like Stills. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised to see him be moved. Um, you know, how many more chances does Parker get? Um, I mean, who knows the answer to that question? I, I, I wonder whether work ethic will be the, the and just not getting it mentally will be the, the, the downfall for him. I do think that the two small guys, I think Wilson and Grant, are very, very, will be very, very key to how this offense succeeds. Um, because I don't think Josh Rosen will have had kids like him, even at UCLA. Um, mm-hmm. And I think for Chad O'Shea to look at those two guys, that will be a, okay, there's something we can do here, especially if we can get Gesicki working as a move tight end who catches a lot of balls, gets open down the field. Because you can scheme him open as well. He's ultimately, as I've said before, without the murder, he's your Aaron Hernandez. You can get him open. You can catch a lot of passes. You've got Alan who can block. You've got uh, the kid from Notre Dame, Smythe, who can block. It'll be interesting to see. be interesting to see. I think, you know, the most well-positioned probably is Albert Wilson to, to yeah. go ahead and, and do something. Um, mm-hmm. Because if you think about the Patriots, and they do have that tendency, like somebody steps up and becomes a Wes Welker or a Julian Edelman or Danny Amendola. I mean, they, they, get, they get work to somebody in that mold, right? And, um, and who, can, who in this roster, in this depth chart, is better suited to end up the beneficiary of that than Albert Wilson. Uh, so if everything works out perfectly for him, all of a sudden Albert Wilson is like a hundred catch guy and you're like, Oh yeah, there, there you go. There you have it. So there's that. I think that of all, you know, we talked about, we, we gushed last week about Preston Williams basically made it the Preston Williams podcast. You think of him and like what Josh Gordon was doing for the new England offense for a brief period before what, a, you know, did he get injured or did he get suspended again? Suspended. Um, yeah, okay. So before he got suspended yet again, you know, what he was doing in the New England offense was actually impressive. And I think that Preston Williams has the ability to do that and supplant Devontae Parker in the process. Um, Jakeem Grant is the guy that I have trouble. I'm, I'm tr- just trying to figure out what he's capable of in this offense. We should, we know that they're going to use him as a return guy, right? Um, Absolutely. But but yeah, and they're going to use Maybe him as a gimmick runner? plays. Maybe as a runner yeah. as well. Runner, absolutely. Uh, they're going to use him as sort of a gimmick. Continue to use him as a gimmick guy. Are they going to make him a real wide receiver? Because I think I've always thought he had kind of the uh, you know grand potential that way as like a yeah. Tyreek Hill wannabe. Um, but will that actually happen? I, I'm leaning toward no again <laughs> um so i i'd go with albert wilson you know having the best shot of doing something that gets league-wide recognition um and then you could get excited by some things that like a preston williams shows you uh and and maybe you know a big play turned in here and there by uh, jakeem grant yeah albert wilson for, for my money i think it's albert wilson albert wilson was well on his way to having one of the better seasons for a wide receiver a dolphin wide receiver in a long time Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, if he finished the way he had begun, he had an outside shot at making the Pro Bowl. So I think Albert Wilson could have big numbers in this offense, especially yeah. if he gets the ball on the run. And, you know, you know, he's a good yak guy. All right, let's move on. And this one's a really simple one. This is Sebas Afanaro, Afanaro, I guess, at El Cebitas Paisa. Okay, so he's obviously Italian or Portuguese, maybe Spanish. No, that's that that's that's Brazilian, I think. 
this one Heist of Dural's, is, Dural's people is country or, or Durval, Durval Neto. Yeah. Is and he writes people. and I'm going to give a, a glib answer, but I think it's the correct answer. And he asks chances that Minka Fitzpatrick improves into a pro bowl caliber player. I'm going to say 100%. Simon. Yeah. I mean, it just depends on where he plays really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that for me is the, is, is the biggest X factor of all. Does he play in the position that he's best at? Mm-hmm. which is currently occupied by Bobby McCain. Does he play in the position that he's probably weakest at, which mm-hmm. is boundary cornerback? Or does he play in the position that everybody has sort of said that he should play, which is free safety? Now, does he split the two safeties and he becomes the Patrick Chung? Who knows? Uh, and that, I think, will be the most fascinating thing moving forward. But he clearly has pro ball talent. Um, it'll just be fascinating to see where he ends up. I think that if you look at we, – we said this actually to start with. We kind of like had this um, this immediate thought that he's basically Devin McCourty, right? I mean, that's to, – yeah. to Brian Flores, yeah. he's going to look at him and he's going to be like, uh, well, Brian Flores has a special relationship with Devin McCourty to begin with. Um, and he's going to be like, yeah, this is our former first-round pick here. He's, he's Devin McCourty. Uh, I think that's – I still think that applies. And Devin McCourty was a guy who played uh, – if you look at what he did for the New England Patriots, he probably spent about half of his time uh, as a deeper safety, like not necessarily center field, but, you know, center field a lot. Um, half of the time out of the box, basically, as a free safety. Uh, and then the other half of the time, you know, a lot of it was in the box. A lot of it was in the box mm-hmm. as a as – a, you know – pseudo slot or in the slot as a slot corner or um or a box safety or even out wide as a corner uh i think that's you know not very many snaps there like only 50 so or so there but um that's that's what minka's gonna be to me uh and so if they're doing that with him i think he's gonna excel like he's if you make him you know sort of a half free safety uh deep safety but then the rest of the time he's in the box uh, or in the slot doing the things that he made him a good player at Bama, then he's going to be a good player. Yeah, and as far as Devin McCourty, people are saying, oh, my God, like, really? That's what we have to look forward to? Well, Devin McCourty is a three-time Super Bowl champion, and he was the defensive captain of all three of those Super Bowl champions. He was also a three-time second-team All-Pro. This is a very good player, people. Mm-hmm. He's Ring of Honor worthy. He's probably not Hall of Fame worthy, but he is 31, mm-hmm. so he has some time to try to stack some more accomplishments. I want, so, I want you know, maybe. Chris Patrick I, is Devin McCourty. I'm ecstatic. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And we're coming down to our last two questions. This was from Erod at FinFan2003. And he writes, with the news that we may keep up to six running backs on the roster. He's counting a fullback, by the way. Which oh, yeah. positions do you see getting more depth and which ones getting less? Simon, first. Um, I don't quite understand the question. Well, who gets less people in their position? Okay, defensive backfield gets more people. Um, At the expense of who? uh, um, I don't know. I don't really understand (laughs) the question. Um, You know, what will be will be in terms of they're just going to put construct the best. I don't think you can look at... I wouldn't surprise if they just carried two quarterbacks, for example. Um... I think there'll be more defensive backs than we we had we've had in previous years because that's what they rely on um, in terms of making that system work defensively. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know until we see players actually in pads and you see how the offensive linemen are working. You see who's going to emerge from you know the defensive end group. Um, it's very difficult to tell. Um, you, you could see linebackers, you know, in terms of pure linebackers, what we'd say were you know the Hulls, the Alonzos, that that kind of thing. You might see that go, number go from six to five, but I mean, who knows at this point? I, that's a, I don't think we'll carry six running backs either. We just for the record, Chris. I don't think we're going to get. I don't think we're going to see six. I think it's going to be five, including the fullback. And I think the fullback himself is basically taking a tight end's yeah, position. Tight end will go down. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, and and that doesn't. They might keep four tight ends plus the fullback. I mean, but. If if they did, it's because you know they're gonna they're either gonna go in there with two tight end personnel or they're gonna go in there with one tight end and two running back, which involves a fullback. It's it's one of you know you know one or the other, and so the fullback chips into into the tight end personnel wise. Four running backs otherwise, because they use the running back so much in the passing game, it makes sense that they they need a full stable down there. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, I think that New England I – mean, if you think about what New England did versus what our defense did a year ago, you know, a lot more defensive backs, right? We talked about that ad nauseum. Yeah. Uh, a lot less, a lot fewer snaps to defensive linemen. So, uh, you know, that's the, – the extra snaps for the defensive backs came from defensive linemen. That's where it came from in New England. So, if you're thinking about the roster and how many defensive linemen you're going to – you're going to – keep in Miami uh maybe maybe subtract a one defensive lineman more than you think is you know take take one out you think it's going to be like nine or something like that and take one out it's going to be you know whatever you think it is um take one out because I think that's the way they operate all right final question this was from Melody Mackey at AK Mamel all right whatever that means and she or he writes Thing that has gotten you the most excited about this season, Simon. Next season. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> draft is what has to be the most excited. So I'll go ahead. Simon already answered. I'll go ahead and answer second here. What yeah. has me the most excited is 120 million dollars in cap space after Tunsil and Xavier Howard get their money around 100, which is more than enough, and two picks in every single round except the first round, and possibly a top five pick. That has me really excited, Chris. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, that's that's tough. Did we steal all your thunder? Yeah, basically. I mean, I I really I'm gonna be so I'm gonna I'm gonna be watching quarterbacks this year. I always do, but yeah. So that's 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 the thing about that. Uh, actually, on defense, I'm really interested in seeing how um, how this shapes up with the uh, the personnel packaging that they do on defense. Because I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I've been wanting this for a long time. Using, you know, using personnel packages and manipulating how many body, how many of certain body types that you have out there according to the situation and, and, and showing some versatility and stuff like that. Like these are things that have always been smart and I'm, I'm looking forward to them implementing that whether it, it works out or whether it doesn't work out because they have the pieces or they don't have the pieces. I don't really know the answer to that question, um, but I am looking forward to seeing it take shape because uh, I have some faith in 
in them defensively. I don't know what the hell the offense is going to do. Yeah. But, um, but defensively, I have some faith in how they're structuring it, how they're going to teach it. And, um, and so I look forward to seeing that. Yeah, and nobody answered. No, no, none of the of us three answered Josh Rosen, which is interesting because everybody else, at least the fans, would That's say true. Josh Rosen. They're they're dying to see what he's gonna do. Well, I, you know, he's he's gonna be interesting. I mean, we're mm. it's it's yeah. it's the it's the storyline here, uh, basically, uh, legitimately. Um, and and so you're gonna see, you know, we've we've made our our nits known, but he, he's. He was a, a a top ten pick, and we'll see we'll see how he how much he improves this year, and that'll be that'll be a good storyline for us, and it'll also be a storyline because if he was as bad as if he is as bad as he was last year, then we'll get to a tongue of Iowa, you know. So that's that mm-hmm. you know if he doesn't improve, then that could be equally exciting. Yeah. The other question, the other point is that. If he's just average, if he's middle of the road, if he's not bad, if he's an mm-hmm. improvement on next year but not a massive step up, mm. then you're probably looking at tour anyway. Yeah, or somebody high, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I just well, think that's what they'll do. Yeah, or yeah. somebody to to compete with him directly. Yeah, because then you can either keep him like, as a backup because he's cheap, or you trade him. Average in the NFL. I mean, you know, they're not going to win a whole lot of games if they've only got. Uh, you know, uh, unless, below unless average. Unless the rest of the team is a little, little bit below stacked, average. you know? And well, yeah, the rest but, of the team is not stacked. You know, well, that's the that's the thing. That's the great big mystery. I mean, who really knows? Because we we know that some of these skill position players can play, right? We talked about Albert Wilson and Grant and, you know, the, the stuff like that. And we know what Kenyon Drake is capable of. And we know what um, you, you've always had a thing for Callum Bellage and, and certainly he is, he is talented. It's the offensive line. We think is probably going to be trash, but what if we, what if Jesse Davis is brilliant at right tackle? We haven't really seen him at right tackle except for like six quarters. Yeah. Uh, but you know, what if he's brilliant at right tackle and instead of Jordan Mills, like he plays there and, and Chris Reed is a good right guard and, you know, suddenly Daniel Kilgore is reunited with Pat Flaherty and starts to make sense again instead of looking like ass last year. And um, the rivers boiled and the, the seas yeah. blood. And <laughs> well, you know, it's a lot of what if. It's a lot of what us, and I understand it, but there's – it's not like – it's not like it can't happen. The This is the NFL. It does yes, happen every absolutely. year. <laughs> yeah, like it wouldn't be it, – it's not cra- – it's not absolutely crazy that they go out and they pop off a good win number. It's happened before. Yeah. A one in fifteen. It happens Dolphin every year. A it one in fifteen Dolphin year. team went and won eleven the following year. Okay. Yeah. So it happens all. Riddle the- me that. Yeah. Right. And and I remember that season as clear as day. As soon as Chad Pennington came around, everybody was like, "Okay, they're competent. They're going to win eight games. They're going to win eight games." Nobody had them winning eleven. But oh, it happened. Yeah. I don't all even right. know how anybody could have them winning eight. Games when Chad Pennington at that point. Are you kidding me? Yeah, the team the team was not good. <laughs> it was not good. It was two running backs and Chad Pennington. That's and those first couple of games they were awful too. And until yeah. then the Magic game, you know, the Wildcat game happened, and and then they they ran off. What was it? Nine straight or eight straight? Yeah, something something like, that. like that. You know, but yeah. All right, that's it. There is no more. We will talk to you next week. Of course, enjoy Game of Thrones finale this Sunday coming up. I'll be out a watch party. Simon will be, I don't know where, but he'll be watching as well. And Chris will be analyzing every single bit of it to come up with another sociological explanation of why Daenerys 
is a terrible human being. That's right. But that's it. There is no more. We will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.